Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Community Church. I'm going to say it again. Good morning for Fresh Community Church. Uh, it's good to see you all. I am Kyle Hubbard. I am the assistant pastor of this wonderful church. And I don't just call it wonderful because I'm the assistant pastor. That actually would probably not make it so wonderful. But I say it's wonderful because of all of you. You all are some amazing folks. And I just, uh, man, I just appreciate the spirit of love, joy, and community here, which you just saw on display during meet and greet visitors. Uh, But man, man, I'm super excited about today. Did y'all know that today was Baptism Sunday? Yes. So we have a number of folks getting baptized. And um, man, I'd like to welcome all of our visitors, whether you're visiting online or you're here in the sanctuary. We do not take it lightly that you have chosen to worship with us. Uh, man, I always count it an honor to be in the house of God amongst the people of God and the opportunity to preach the word of God. And this morning, I will be continuing on in our Luke series. And so I'll be reading Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 33 through ver- verse 39. So I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Uh, and it will be on the screen, um, but if you would like to use your uh, Bible pew, I'm sorry, pew Bible, it is on page 861. So 861 if you're using a pew Bible. Um, and if you don't have a Bible, please take that as a gift from us to you. Amen. Uh, if you got to say amen. 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 Luke chapter 5, verse 33 through 39 in the word of God says, and they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. He said, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new one will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin, and it will be spilled, and the skin will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskin. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is Good. Let's pray. Wonderful Savior and King, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, uh, Lord, for your word. Uh, man, I am so man, blown away by your grace and your mercy for, that you display to us each and every day. God, you are a loving God. There are many who walk through these doors today with a heavy heart, and I pray for them right now, dear Lord, that you give them a sense of peace. That you give all of us ears to hear. And just as my sister said, I pray, dear Lord, that you plant seeds in our heart that bear fruit. Lord God, hide me behind the cross. Communicate all that you will to your people, and we will be forever grateful. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, 
Church, I don't know if you know this, but I consider myself a really lucky person. Uh, and it's not just because I'm really good at board games. I, I love board games. I, I, play, I love uh, checkers and chess. I'm, I'm actually learning how to play chess. I used to know when I was younger, but I'm, I started playing it again. I'm trying to get better. If anybody wants to give me chess lessons for free, I want to be clear, for free, let me know. Uh, <laughs> um, I love uh, Monopoly. Any Monopoly players in here? Any Monopoly players? Yeah, yeah. If you want to play, let me know. I would love to come out. I might win. I just want to be front. I might win. You know, I have to be honest. I'm up here preaching, so I have to be honest. But, but I would love to play. I also uh, like this new game jo- Pastor Jonathan is, uh, uh, got me playing called Settlers of Catan. Anybody ever play Settlers of Catan? Okay. Okay. I'm not the only one. I felt a little weird because it looked like Dungeons and Dragons growing up, and I didn't, you know, I didn't used to do that. So I didn't ever thought I'd be the guy playing Settlers, but I enjoy it. Uh, man, I play with Pastor Jonathan all the time, and uh, he's really, really good at it. I beat him sometimes, but he's really good. Also like card games. Any of y'all play card games? I like, uh, yeah, yeah, like Big Wiz. Uh, I know y'all probably don't know nothing about Big Wiz. I uh, play hearts. Anybody know about spades? Let's try spades. Spades? Yeah, okay, okay, spades. Uh, but I don't say I'm lucky because of any of those things. Now, I understand that we're Christians, and uh, Christians, we don't believe in luck. Uh, we don't believe in leprechauns. We don't believe in treasure at the end of the rainbow, though that's what our cereal taught us growing up, had us running around chasing, trying to find money. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, as Christians, we don't believe in the power of four-leaf clovers or rabbit's feet. I never understood the whole rabbit's foot thing. Like, that just didn't seem lucky to me that a rabbit got his foot severed. And who decided to put it on a keychain and carry it around? That just seems very awkward and weird to me. Uh, but we don't believe in the power of any of those things. But so let me be clear. When I say I'm lucky, what I really mean, so that there's no confusion, is is that I mean I'm blessed, right? I mean, when I say I'm lucky, what I mean is, is that I believe God in his infinite wisdom and his sovereign power, he has shown me a grace that I do not deserve. Yeah, when I say I'm lucky, all I'm really saying is, is that God has saw fit to do something remarkable, unbelievable, and unprecedented in my life. And I only actually use the word lucky in one instance in my life. And I only use it when describing the day Valerie Hubbard said yes to becoming my wife. Yeah. That day she made me the luckiest man in the world. Uh, Next week we will actually be celebrating 19 years of marriage. Yeah. And uh, we're going to celebrate it on the shores of Puerto Rico. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, and actually working on this sermon made me think back to my wedding day and man, I just love my wedding day, man. I remember everything. I remember, uh, the church, it was at Chatham Bible church out in North County. Not sure you ever been there, but a beautiful place. I remember the decorations. I remember the 16 bridesmaids and groomsmen, uh, 16 total. Not 32, not 16 each. We're not one of those people where you had to put all, you can't get everybody in the picture. I'm not talking about those. 16 was still a lot. I get it. Uh, I remember remember the flower girl, the ring bearer. I remember all of our friends and family packed in the house. Uh, I remember her wife when she was walking down the aisle in her gorgeous dress and she, her beautiful smile. And and she always teases me to this day. She's like, I don't know how you remember all these details because you was crying the whole time. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm like, nobody has proof of this. <laughs> uh, no, I was crying. I was, I was crying about the whole time. Um, but I remember everything. I remember, uh, man, my old pastor, God rest his soul, marrying us. I remember the rings. I remember the, the soloists. I remember us saying, I do. I remember him pr- turning us around and making that proclamation where he says, for the first time I'm presenting to you Mr. and Mrs. Kyle Hubbard. Yeah, all of that is, I mean, it was an amazing day. But one thing that sticks out vividly to me is the party that that ensued afterwards. Like after we walked down from that stage, me and my family, we kicked it. We, we turned up. I mean, we, we, for those who don't know, that's urban vernacular for we had a really good time, okay? So we kicked it, right? We kicked it. And uh, man, I mean, and listen, man, we, we, I mean, we danced, we listened to music, we ate, we drank. Only Christian beverages, just want to be clear. I know we used to be a part of the journey, so there might be some varying degrees of what you mean by Christian beverages, but go with it. Go with it. Uh, but man, I strolled with my frat brothers. We did all the Christian things, you know. I'm not Christian things. We did all the wedding things, like the, the daddy-daughter dance. My, my wife threw the bouquet. I did the whole garter thing. Now, let me say something about this whole garter thing. Now, when I was young, I enjoyed, you know, I did that, right? But, but now that I look back at it, that is the most inappropriate thing to do at a wedding, isn't it? Man, it's so, it's the most awkward part of the wedding. Like, it's super weird. It's like, I don't feel like I should be here. Uh, <laughs> but no, we had a good time. And I actually was, was thinking back to that day, and I was thinking about the reason why my family, and I knew why I was having a good time. Uh, you know, thinking about the honeymoon and just hanging out and just being on vacation. But, but, but my family and friends, I was thinking about why did they have such a good time? And what I realized was the reason for their smiles and the reason for their laughter and the reason for their joy was because they were there to celebrate and enjoy this moment of just being with the bride and groom and celebrating their union. Yeah, at that moment, for my family and my friends, we had become the center of the party. Actually, since that day, my wife has become the center of my party. Yeah, since that day, my life has changed. I can no longer, I'm no longer single. I can no longer just think about myself when I'm making decisions. Yeah, see, when I got married, my old life was no more, and I stepped into something that was new. I wasn't even ready for it, but it was new, and it's new, and I've been walking that thing out ever since. But I love weddings. I've had the pleasure of being in about 25 weddings. I've probably done another 10. So about 30-something weddings I've done or been a part of. And I love weddings. I think all Christians should actually love weddings. Why? Because uh, weddings are really a reminder to the Christian of the day that we said, I do, to Jesus. Yeah, see, the, the moment we put our faith in Christ, we became the luckiest people in the world. Yeah, the day we put our faith in Jesus, we, we gave our hand in marriage to him, everything changed for us as well. Our old life and our old lifestyle was no more, and from that day, everything has become new. And so here's this, this is just what I want to say this morning. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you've been struggling, right, and you've been bumping your head in life, and you want to experience what you've been hearing about, this new life in God. Well, all that you have to do, my encouragement to you is all that you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and just make him the center of your party. Yeah, yeah, if you're a Christian and you're here this morning and you've been going through a tough time, you've been in that little, that desert season of your life, then what I would encourage you to do is to renew your vow and commitment to the Lord and make Jesus the center of your party. (laughs) See, when you make Christ the center of your party, God says that we will experience 
new things. And, and three of them I'm going to share with you this morning. The first is, if we make Christ the center of our party, is that we will experience a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking. Look at verse 33. It says this, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Yeah, what we see here in the text is believed by some to be a continuation of the dinner that was held at Matthew's house. My brother Charlton last week did an amazing job preaching that sermon, did he not? Man, he did a phenomenal job. Uh, but for those who weren't here last week, um, and for those who might not have been here for the past few weeks as we've been in this chapter, let me st set the stage for what's going on here so you can better understand the uh, context and passage of the passage today. If you look in this chapter, what you'll see is that Jesus has begun his earthly ministry. Uh, and he's hit the scene with a splash, to say the least. Yeah, right now, everybody is talking about this dude, Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, TMZ has posted footage of him healing a leper. Uh, CNN had an interview with someone who said they saw Jesus help Peter, uh, commanded fish to fill Peter's nets, and Peter made a lot of money after that happened. And I did not realize that. I don't know if y'all were here a few weeks ago when Pastor Carlos preached that sermon, but I always, when reading that text, focused on the miracle. I'm like, man, Jesus commanded the fish to go in the nets. I'm sure that was hard. But then Pastor Carlos talked about, well, yeah, you know Peter probably made a lot of money after that. I was like... That's a great point. Maybe that's where prosperity preaching actually starts. Yeah, I mean, I'm just playing. <laughs> but listen, if you read this chapter, what you'll see is somebody actually went live on Facebook and filmed this group of guys who were on top of this roof, and they, they tore open the shingles, and they made this hole, and they lowered their friend down, this paralyzed man, and they laid him before Jesus. And Jesus chooses to do something, man, so significant. He doesn't reach out his hand to heal the man. He just uses his words. He restores the man's body and he sends him home fully restored, body fully restored. And so if you read this chapter, what's going on here is that Jesus has gone viral. Yeah, most folks who have heard about Jesus or seen his wondrous acts, they are excited about what God is doing. Yeah, most folks have heard about Jesus or saw the things he were doing and they're blown away. They're amazed. But if you go online and you click on the comments, what you'll notice is not everybody was happy. Yeah, if you go online and you click in the comments, what you'll notice in the text is not everybody was blown away or happy about what Jesus was doing. Not everybody was impressed. Yeah, and it's this group of people that you see in the comments, they were called the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were just church folks. <laughs> they were the religious leaders. They were your pastors, your elders, your deacons, the people who show up every Sunday and lead all the ministries. It was those folks. Yeah, the ones who should have been celebrating all the awesome and wonderful things Jesus had done. But if you notice, they weren't. Yeah, see, instead of, of celebrating and being celebrators, they had become this complex theological term. Maybe you've heard of it. They became this complex theological term known as haters. Yeah, they became haters. That's what they were. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the Pharisees hated on Jesus more than people hate on LeBron James. Now, that's hate, right? The, the, the Pharisees hated on Jesus more than people from Chicago hate on Emo's Pizza. Now, you know that's hate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and they not only hated on Jesus, they just hated him. They hated who he was. They hated what he was doing. But here's the thing. I believe that their hate of Jesus was reactionary. 
I'm going to say it again. I believe that the Pharisees' hate of Jesus was reactionary. See, let me teach you a little something about haters. Because I know, I'm not saying that I'm a hater, but I know a little something about haters. Listen, haters typically hate on people they perceive as threats. Yeah. Yeah, haters typically only hate on people they perceive as threatening to their place and to their power. See, I believe if Jesus would have just busted on the scene doing all these miracles and healing folks, if he would have come on the scene displaying his authority and his sovereign power over animals and over disease and over illness and his authority over the human body, and if he would have just aligned himself with them, yeah, if Jesus was just to have affirmed them, if he would have went to their homes and hung out, if he would have rolled in their circles, or if he would have just been in the temple posting selfies with them, I think they would have accepted Jesus. But because Jesus refused to do all that, they were threatened by him. And it's funny that us as church people, we can read this about the Pharisees and look down our noses at them. When here's the reality, we're no different today. We're no different. Yeah, though Jesus is good, though Jesus is righteous, though he's charitable, though he's done some amazing things, many in our world, even us, we can reject a relationship with him. Why? Because Jesus threatens our authority. Over what? Over our own lives. See, the issue, it's funny to me, really the only issue that humanity has with Jesus is lordship. That's it. It's just control. See, in our minds, we don't want to have to submit our lives and our decisions and our futures to anyone else besides ourselves. We love this word, I'm grown. We love this phrase, don't we? It's like the worst thing to ever happen to our culture, I'm grown. I've said it, I know, I know, I've said it, I confess. (laughs) But we don't want anyone (laughs) dictating what we do with our lives. Therefore, many reject him. And this is what the Pharisees were doing, and they're filtering all their thoughts about Jesus through this lens. And when Jesus refuses to spend his time with them, that probably wouldn't have been so bad, but then he chooses to spend all his time with outcasts. Yeah, those whom the Pharisees look at as unholy, sinners, unworthy of their time and their proximity. Yeah, and this is funny to me because not only was Jesus hanging out and dining at Matthew's house, and Matthew was a tax collector. My my brother Charlton talked about how, how the tax collectors in their culture were looked at as the scum of the earth. So not only is Jesus there hanging out with a sinner, a a tax collector, it also say in the text they're having a party. (laughs) Yeah, they're there and there's a celebration and it's so lit that the Pharisees hear about it. Now, now I don't know how this happened, but the text says that there was a great feast and there was a great number of people coming in and out of there. So I don't know if they just saw the commotion and they showed up. I don't know if somebody gave them a flyer to the party. I don't know how it worked, but they show up. And the Pharisees, when they get there, they do what haters do. They start hating and they condemn Jesus for hanging out and eating and drinking with outcasts. And then what's funny to me, as you look in the text, what you'll see is that they not only start arguing with Jesus and condemn him, but they start to make this a theological issue. Yeah, they start having this conversation, making this about the Old Testament law. Now, I don't know about you, but that's hilarious to me because you, they were sitting there arguing theology with the very one who is theology. Isn't that crazy? They're arguing the Old Testament with the very one who wrote the Old Testament, right? And so if Jesus was me, I would have laughed them up under a table, but Jesus is not me. He actually spends some time with them and he, he challenges them and he corrects them in their interpretation and application of the law. And as my brother Charlton talked about, 
about last week, he explained to them that the gospel was made for the sick and not for those who think they're well and think that they're righteous. And so we pick up in verse 33 in our text, and I won't be before you long. We pick up in verse 33, and many who read this chapter read it and think that this is the Pharisees who are still talking, but it's not. No, this is not the Pharisees. There's actually a switch in who is speaking. And you'll notice there's this question that's being posed to Jesus, and why many people think it's the Pharisees is because it's following the same mindset, right? And so verse 33, it says, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Yeah, this is not the Pharisees speaking. Actually, Matthew in his account, he points out who it was. But, but here's the thing I want you to take away. Is that church, what I believe is going on here is that the Pharisees in the Jewish culture, they had for years led and shaped their theological and religious framework that their, 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 what they were teaching and the way that they had kind of led the people, I believe that they had infected the minds of the culture. <laughs> Yeah, my, my, my pastor used to say is passing on stinking thinking. You ever heard that? Stinking thinking. And that's what I believe they did. They passed on stinking thinking. Yeah, the Pharisees had made Judaism all about the law, and they must have done an amazing job at it because Jews to this day make Christianity, well, not Christianity, but make Judaism all about performance, all about uh, doing what you have to do to follow the law to the T so that you can please God and merit salvation. They basically created a work-based system in how to get to God. But church, this isn't just a Jewish issue. I want to be clear. <laughs> No, even us in our culture, in American culture today, not Christian culture, just American culture, whenever we talk about a relationship with God, we tend to always make it about performance, about what you do. That's what we do. We talk about all the do's and don'ts. Don't do this. Do this. You know you're going to have to stop doing that. You're going to have to do this. Like we make it all about the do's and don'ts, and this mindset has impacted so many. I hear this mindset at, at funerals, I hear it on TV, I hear it in rap songs, I hear it in music, in movies, and, it, and it's really just the mind that believes if I can do enough good, then hopefully it outweighs my bad. But church, that's the problem. See, what I want to tell you this morning is you can never do enough good to merit salvation. No. See, the, see, the issue that they didn't understand was that God didn't give us the law to be our Savior. He gave us the law to show us that we are in need of a Savior. Here, what Jesus was trying to explain to them is that, listen, you're so focused on the law when you should be looking at me and standing before you is, is the fulfillment of the law. I am your Savior. Yeah, your mind is on the old way, but I am the new that's why Jesus said it in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. <laughs> yeah, he was letting them know your do's and don'ts will get you nowhere. It's only by faith and faith alone in me that will save your soul. Yeah, Jesus was trying to let them know salvation is here. It has arrived and it's standing before you. And so while you're here focused on fasting, you should be focused on feasting because now is the time for celebration. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were celebrating at Matthew's house. They were celebrating Matthew's uh, union with Christ. Yeah, Matthew's house just happened to be the reception venue. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at Matthew's house, I, I, I don't know, just my mind, I don't know why I think like that. I just picture Matthew's house and they like got a DJ, right? And like he, he over there like scratching like stone records, like with all the latest, like, like all the latest, like biblical, like Christian artists, like uh, Little John the Baptist and, and like... <laughs> Like Usher, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, 
I just pictured him in there doing the cha-cha and the Cupid shuffle. I just, I don't know, it's why my, where my mind goes. But, but the text says that they were having a great feast. They're eating and they're drinking and they're celebrating that the sick has been made well. But let me just say this, church, hear me. Celebrating and worshiping God for our salvation is not something you should do, just do when you first get saved. I'm going to say it again. Celebrating and worshiping God for our salvation is not just something we should do when we first get saved. No, we should be celebrating every single day the amazing gift of grace and love. (laughs) Do you know what kind of a witness that would be to the world if we were celebrating every day the fact that we are saved by our sovereign king? Yeah, every day we should be coming back to the gospel. Every day we should be thinking and celebrating the reality that Jesus paid it all. Every day we should be thinking and celebrating the reality that salvation is by faith alone and grace alone and it's not made up by my works and my doing. Every day we should be coming back to the gospel, thinking and celebrating that when we fall, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Every day we should be thinking and celebrating the reality that God says that once we are saved, we are new creatures. The old has passed away and behold, all things have become new. See, the problem is the old mind doesn't celebrate. Why? Because it's so focused on performance. It's so focused on doing. But the new mind celebrates because its only focus is being with Jesus. <laughs> See, when I was growing up, the old folks, the old church used to say, I grew up in an old school black church. Any of y'all grew up in an old school black church? Yeah. yeah. See, in the old school black church, they used to have this thing called testimony service. I think I told y'all about it before. I know y'all don't, so let me explain for those who didn't grow up there. So a testimony service was a portion of the service, typically at the beginning, where they would have open mic. Now, I know ain't no way y'all doing open mic these days, right? Y'all, too dangerous, right? But back in the day, they used to have this thing called, called testimony service, and that's where they gave the mic out, and they just allowed people to stand up and testify of the goodness of the Lord. And there would always be somebody who would stand up, and they would say this. They would say, when I think on the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, thank God for saving me. See, what, those old, what, what, what the old church was talking about, they were actually putting this into practice. Every day they were reminding themselves, even when they have a bad day, they were reminding themselves that Jesus is good. When they had a good day, they were reminding themselves that Jesus is good. When the day was just ah, they were reminding themselves that Jesus is good. See, church, when Christ is the center of your party, not only should you have a new way of thinking, but we should have a new way of living. Look at verse 36, it says this. He also told a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Jesus here, he's given a parable, an illustration. Jesus loves to use everyday examples to help us better understand and to drive points home. I love this. I'm an application person. I want to know how theology works. How does that practically work out in my life? And so I love that Jesus does this, but if I can just be honest about this, I typically love Jesus' parables, but when I read this one, I, I, I didn't like it, if I'm just being honest, in this season of my life. And, and, I, and it's because I have a confession to make. You know, he's talking about this old garment, and it just made me think about this pair of pants in my closet that I refuse to let go of. I have a, a pair of pants that... Uh, I'm just not getting rid of. Yep, I said it. I'm just not doing it. Uh, This pair of pants, I I love it. I mean, they're my favorite pair of pants. I wear them all the time. I I wear them on work trips. I wear them on date night. I I wear them here to church. I I, I love these pair of pants, and they've become a part of my life. And let me tell you what happened to this pair of pants. 
About six months ago, I was here at church, and um, I, they got caught on something and literally ripped straight down the back, just completely <laughs> ripped straight down the back. I mean, it looked like somebody took a machete and just like, ah, and, and just ripped them straight down the back. And, uh, you know, I still wear them, though. I mean, I mean, I just... I shouldn't. I know. I know. It's confession time. Let me confess. Uh, and I think God let it happen uh, because he realized that these pants were idle in my life. And I, I, I know they're idle now because I'm emotionally attached to these pants. I know I'm emotionally attached because my wife has demanded that I throw these pants away. Uh, but I told her, no, I'm not doing it. Uh, rips are in. Did you not know? And uh, nobody will notice. And she said, no, nah, it doesn't work that way. You're a pastor, and if I have to, I will call the elders. And so, you know, the whole church discipline thing, I'm really not into that. So, you know, but listen, I, listen, I like the pants. They're comfortable. I like how they fit, right? Uh, so when she brought up the church discipline thing, I said, okay, I got to figure out something. So I came up with, you know, my mother-in-law knows how to sew right? But you can't put a stitch going straight across. That's not going to work. So I was like, maybe I can patch them, right? But you can't put a patch on the outside because, again, I'm a fashion guy. Patches aren't in right now, maybe in a few years, but they're not in. So I was like, maybe she could patch them on the inside, get a similar color, and then you won't be able to notice. Like, I'm really fighting, right? You're trying to figure this thing out. And I know it absolutely sounds ridiculous. But then what happened was, as soon as I actually, this is funny, as I was thinking about patching the pants, Carlos calls my phone and he says, hey, Pascal, um, I want you to preach. I'm like, cool. And he was like, yeah, if you could preach right after 4th uh, after, uh, of July, man, got a passage for you. I'm like, cool. I went and read the passage. I'm like, oh, great. Then it was like, uh, then I looked at my schedule and I saw I was going to be out of town. So I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm not going to be there. Uh, you know, he was like, that's okay, Charlton to do it. Uh, you just flip-flop with him, right? And so then I pulled open this text, and then sure enough, as I'm thinking about patching these old pants, I'm reading that Jesus talking about the old garment and how it's going to rip, and I'm like, dag. So I got convicted, and so this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to throw these pants away this week, okay? Y'all can hold me accountable. I'm going to throw the pants away. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try really bad hard. <laughs> But beloved, listen, I give that example because here's the thing. I think we can all relate to this in some way this morning, right? Yeah, I know there are some here this morning who are trying to hold on to something that they know they need to let go. Yeah, there are many here I know this morning that I'm sure who are here, who are right now you're holding on to an old life that is full of holes. Yeah, you have a life that's been tattered. You have a life that's been worn down, a life that's literally been ripped apart. And just like me, you've been trying to patch it together. <laughs> yeah, you've been trying to cover up the holes, you know, the voids in your life, the, the insecurities, the loneliness, the fears, the depression, the addiction, the failures, the, the secret sins, the guilt. And you're sitting here right now, and you're trying to patch it with new things like money, and you're trying to patch it with that relationship with people, and you're trying to patch it with, with work and food and alcohol and weed and gummies. Yeah, I'm going to come for you too. Yeah, weed and gummies. And, and you're trying to patch it with self-help books, and you're trying to patch it with, with sage. That stuff, that stuff stinks. And you're trying to patch it with crystals. Some of you are trying to patch it with Instagram followers and likes on Facebook. And what Jesus is saying this morning is that you're trying to patch your own life with new things and you're wondering why it's not working. 
And what Christ is saying is that, listen, the reason why it's not working is because you're trying, you got an old garment and you're trying to patch it when that, that old garment just really needs to be replaced. Yeah. Church, I don't know who needs to hear this, but please hear me, whoever you are, stop holding on to your old life. I'm going to say it again. Because I know God has been, he's been talking to you, he's been waiting. Listen, stop, stop holding on to your old life. Let it go. Stop making excuses. Stop kicking the can down the road. This was me. I remember, I'll get saved next week. I'll get saved next month. I'll get saved next year. When I break up with this person, then I'll give my life to the, stop kicking the can down the road. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christians too. Christian, I don't know who you are, but stop holding on to the sin of your past. Stop dabbling. Stop going back when things get hard. Stop hiding. Stop lying. Stop trying to cover it up. Stop trying to live a double life. It does not work. I've been there. This is what Jesus was speaking about in in verse 37. He says, and no one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Church, there is somebody here this morning who's been wrestling with God and they need new life. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I come that you might have new life and that you might have it more abundantly. And then I love what he says in verse 11. He says, for I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, church, what's so beautiful about the gospel is that we're able to receive and we're able to live a new life because the good shepherd laid down his for us. So the question is, is why are we still holding on to that old garment? Yeah, that old life. Why am I still holding on to those old pair of pants (laughs) when I got new ones in the closet? Why am I doing that? (laughs) And the real reason why is because of comfort. Yeah, comfort. See, I said, I'm I'm used to the pants. I like how they fit. I'm used to them. And here's the reality. We don't want to let go of things because change is not comfortable. Yeah, people don't like change because that means you have to typically go out and do something different. But see, here's the thing is that this is why I love the gospel so much because the gospel is not really a message about change. It's a message of transformation. Yeah, see, Jesus doesn't tell us to go out and change our lives and make it better. No, what Jesus said is put your faith in me and I will transform your life and make it new. See, when we we make Christ the center of our party, not only do we have a new way of thinking and we get a new way of living, but lastly, God says we have a new way of speaking. Look at verse 38. It says this. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. I chuckle at this every time I read it because this is me. He says the one who drinks old wine does not desire new because he says the old wine is good. See, church, the reality is is that many reject Jesus and reject a new way of living because they believe their current way of living is good. And this was me before I became a Christian. I, I didn't see a problem with my old life. I don't have some sob story. I didn't, you know, I didn't hit rock bottom when I gave my life to Jesus. No, I, I loved my life. I enjoyed my sin. It's just the reality was, was once I was presented with the gospel, Jesus became more beautiful than my sin. 
And this is what Proverbs 14, 12 is speaking about. He says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, church, I understand why people hold on to their old life. I understand why Christians sometimes go back to their old sinful ways. I didn't become a pastor and then become oblivious to how life works. See, I understand why people go back. It's because sin feels good. Yeah, we don't like to say that, but that's the reality. Sin feels good. Though it's temporary, and, it's, and, and here's the reality, it feels good to this flesh. But the issue is, is that, yeah, see, sin feels good. The problem is it just doesn't end good. Yeah, Proverbs said that it ends in death. See, this is why we should want and desire and why we need Jesus. It's because this, just see, Jesus is different than sin. See, Jesus is good in the beginning, and beloved, he's good in the end. Listen, let me give you an example of this new way of speaking that Christ is talking about here. How many of you like ice cream? Anybody like me? I love ice cream, my favorite dessert. I love ice cream. Specifically, I love chocolate ice cream. Uh, and my, and what I use, it, it, listen, Edie's chocolate ice cream from Walgreens to me just used to be the best. Anybody ever had it, Edie's chocolate ice cream? That's okay. You're missing a treasure. Edie's chocolate ice cream from Walgreens used to be the best to me. And I'm one of those people I told you in my last sermon, I like to debate. I like to argue. That's just my thing. And so when every time somebody would try to come to me and tell me about different flavors and try this, try is, I tell them, absolutely not. That's a waste of my time. Uh, I already know what's good to me. Why would I take a chance of being disappointed, right? Because it is is the best. Uh, and what happened was, was um, we had date night one night, me and my wife and a group of friends. And, and we, after dinner, uh, the couple said, um, hey, we want to take you to a new place. Um, and this little place is called Clementine's. Yeah. And, and and I'm being honest, I didn't really want to go, because <laughs> uh, soon as I found out it was an ice cream shot, I'm like, oh, here we go, ice cream shop, here they go, we try to get me to eat bubble gum this and bubble, you know, nobody pistachio, nobody want to try that. Um, and, and so I went to Clementine's, and the wife of my friend, he's, she was like, Kyle, I know you don't like trying new things, I get it, I get it. She said, but you got to try this chocolate ice cream, they got the best chocolate, you got to try the chocolate ice cream. And I'm like, nah, you know, you know my motto, you know what I mean, like, this is just a waste of my time, I don't want to do it. She was like, but please, just do it for me, just try it. And so, and the name, she said, the name of the ice cream is called Midnight Pleasure. I'm like, man, that's great branding, I mean, that's a wonderful name. And so, and so this is what I did. I took a word for it and I got me three scoops of midnight pleasure ice cream. And do y'all know what happened when I tasted it? The clouds rolled away and I saw the glory of my God. And everybody around me vanished, and it was just me, my ice cream cone, and my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and since that day that I, I had it, listen, I'm trying to tell you, everything changed for me. I don't speak the same way I used to speak. Edie's is no longer the best to me. No, because I've tasted what's the best. Ever since the day I tested, tasted it, Clementine's Midnight Pleasure, I have not stopped proclaiming its goodness, right? <laughs> and so as I end, just hear me, beloved, if you're here this morning, 
I want to tell you about something that's better than Clementine's. Listen, if you're here this morning, I want to tell you about something that's better than midnight pleasure. But I promise if you call on him, he'll be with you in the midnight hour. Listen, let me tell you this morning about someone who's better than that person you're holding on to, that sin you keep running back to, and that old life that has you bound. Listen, listen to, just like I listened to that prophet who told me about Clementines, I want you to listen to the prophet David. Because this is what the prophet David said. He understood it. He understood. He said this in Psalms 34, 8. He said, listen, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Because here's the thing, church. See, church, when we make Christ the center of our party, what I need you to understand is that we get to experience that which is good. Yeah, we get to experience everlasting love. That's good. We get to experience freedom over sin. That's so good. We get to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding, a joy that's unspeakable, a life of purpose, help when we're weak, protection when Satan tries to attack, victory when it looks like everything is lost, an advocate when we're being accused, healing when we're wounded. We get his church when we feel alone. We have, a, we have power when, when we have nothing left. We get his righteousness every time we fall back into sin. We get his forgiveness when you feel condemn and we get everlasting life when death is at our door see when Jesus is the center of our party we get to experience goodness I know this world does not tell you that God is good it's spending all this time telling you that everything else is good because Satan is a liar from the pits of hell God and Jesus is so so good and when you experience his goodness, you can't help but to speak different. That's why 1 Peter 2.9 says, you will proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But we got to put church, but we have to put Jesus at the center. And so that's simply my question as you're leaving this morning is, is Christ the center of your life? Is he the center of your party? Because if he is, I promise you, you'll get a new way of thinking, a new way of living, and a new way of speaking. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Before I pray, if you're here this morning, and as I said in the beginning, and you've been wrestling with God, and you've been, you're just fed up with life, and you're fed up with the old way, and you've kind of come to your wit's end, and you heard the sermon, you heard, you read the text, and you're saying in your heart right now, I, I want that new life, then then let me just tell you this, Jesus has made it so easy. <laughs> you don't have to go out here and get yourself together. You don't have to go out here and do a bunch of wonderful and good things that people will applaud and pat you on the back for. No, all Christ says that you have to do is put your faith in me and I will save your soul. So if that is you this morning, I pray that you would just cry out, that you would ask Christ to come into your life. That you will tell him, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. I am submitting my all to you. Put your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Wonderful God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your love. As this world tries to tell us that you don't care about us, when this world tries to tell us that you aren't there, I thank you that the word of God tells us that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That the word of God tells us that you 
are ready for anyone who will put their faith in you and that you will love them, that you will make us new creatures, Lord God, and that you will be with us for all of eternity. And so I pray, dear Lord, that you use something from this sermon to encourage, uplift, or to challenge someone. But ultimately, Lord, I'm asking that your word does not return into your void. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation. You're a loving God and a good father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.